the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, we engage the recent essay by David Brooks in The Atlantic, an essay entitled, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. That sets the tone for David Brooks's essay in The Atlantic. This essay has caused a good bit of discussion, much of it profitable and interesting. Uh, David Brooks is writing uh, from a certain vantage point. He is writing as one who has roots in the conservative tradition. Brooks is famously discovered by William F. Buckley Jr. at the University of Chicago as a student journalist and climbs uh, the ladder rapidly to advance to the top echelon of American journalists. For many years, uh, Brooks has plied his trade as a conservative voice or more of a conservative voice. In recent years, he has struck some interesting notes uh, on the subject of same-sex marriage and other topics. His essay in The Atlantic falls in that same pattern. In The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake for The Atlantic, again published in recent weeks in 2020, Brooks makes some important points. He argues, for example, that the extended American family has fallen by the wayside. Uh, That's an interesting point to ponder. We can't go back to old ways, but we can acknowledge, many of us, that, uh, that the family is a good deal less localized than it was in past years. That's a real, that's a real um, trend to spot. Brooks, of course, is not first on the scene in spotting that, but he is correct to identify the family as undergoing change in our time and in recent years along these lines. And, and that is something for us to think hard about. How do we retain strong family bonds and connections in an age like ours when uh, frankly, our our vantage point has expanded, our vistas have grown, and we don't, many of us, live in the same 10-mile radius as uh, several generations of our family do. It's a beautiful thing. If uh, families can be uh, closely connected together in uh, geographic sense and multiple generations can live near one another, that is, that is a good thing. And we want to say that in Brooks's essay in The Atlantic, uh, reminds us of uh, of that insight. That's that's a real thing. That's a a blessing if we can have it. I don't think, though, that we can say that uh, we must live near uh, extended generations of our family. We have to be careful along these lines to not lay new burdens upon families. There are real reasons uh, why we do move away from our loved ones. We never do so in a glib or blithe way. We do so always uh, remembering fond memories of days past and always wanting to, to, to have those bonds be strong with our loved ones, with our family members, and, and doing what we can uh, to stay connected in meaningful ways. So The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake, as an essay, makes this point about 
uh, multi-generational families and other topics and and lands uh, some real points for us to consider uh, by David Brooks. Brooks, though, also alongside some valuable uh, points to make, has some material that that takes us aback. For example, Brooks classes uh, the two-parent man-woman family with however many children result as the nuclear family. He calls it the nuclear family. I think it would be better, and I think it's telling uh, that Brooks doesn't call it this. I think it would be better to call this kind of family the natural family. The nuclear family, in other words, refers to a kind of social understanding of the family. Uh, in, in actual fact, it's better to speak of the natural family, uh, the biblical family, the God-ordained family. Speaking from a Christian vantage point, Christians have not uh, promoted the man-woman covenantal marriage view leading into the raising of children in a sustainable bonded unit because we think this is a positive uh, uh, arrangement, because we think that there are utilitarian goods that will be reaped through this particular arrangement. Christians believe in one man, one woman marriage for life, and then the welcoming of children as God blesses uh, uh, that couple in procreational and adoptive terms. Christians believe in this vision because this is the vision given us by God in the Bible. This is what Genesis 2, in particular, lays out as our vision for the family. If I could say this more directly, this is what the family is. A family is one man leaving father and mother, holding fast to one woman in a covenantal bond, a bond that does nothing less, to to bring this into the New Testament's theology, than display the gospel relationship of Jesus Christ loving his bride, the church. This design, then, is given us in Genesis 2. It's taken up into the cosmos, showing us that nothing less than the gospel love of God for sinful people is displayed. And this then shows us that God has a massive stake in the natural family, in the biblical family. God loves marriage, and God loves children, and God loves the family. The family is not whatever you make of it then. We don't have freedom In other words, to edit the family. We don't have freedom to revise it. You can't simply uh, pull together any arrangement you think is good, you think is virtuous, and say, this is what the family is, or this is a new understanding of the family, or this is the post-nuclear family. Now, make no mistake, people all around us think you can do this. They are doing this. They are rejecting, frankly, God's vision for the family a vision that we even in our conscience, I think, in in terms of general revelation to connect those ideas, understand is a good thing. You you don't need extensive academic uh, enrichment to understand that one man marrying one woman for life and that couple welcoming children into the world is a good thing. We are coded to understand that this is a good thing. We we know from God's design, God's beautiful aesthetic design in biblical, but also in common grace terms, that this is 
a beautiful arrangement that leads to human flourishing. You don't need the Holy Spirit to understand the family as made by God, as given to this world by a gift, as a good thing. Nonetheless, when you come to the scripture, everything makes sense, everything coheres, you you get why God set things up this way. Brooks argues, though, that we have freedom to revise, excuse me, and re-envision the family. Brooks makes the case that the nuclear family had its day. He says it was a freakish historical moment in 1950 to 65 when all of society conspired, wittingly and not, to obscure the essential fragility of the nuclear family. In other words, what Brooks is saying is that there was this there was this little window of time when Americans in particular had two parent nuclear families, his term, and everything seemed to work for a while. But there were actually, if you read that era closely, according to Brooks, there were all sorts of problems beneath the surface. Let me quote him, for example, along these lines, along the lines of womanhood. For one thing, most women in this era were relegated to the home. Brooks says this, many corporations well into the mid-20th century barred married women from employment. Companies would hire single women, but if these women got married, they would have to quit. Demeaning and disempowering treatment of women was rampant. Women spent enormous hours of, enormous numbers of hours trapped inside the home under the headship, interesting term that he uses, of their husband raising children, end quote. What's interesting here to me is that David Brooks connects the problematic uh, era that prioritized the nuclear family with male headship and with what you could call traditional womanhood, a woman loving her home, a woman being the one who nurtures and raises her children uh, in a day-to-day sense, the woman being trapped or relegated to the home. So what Brooks articulates in this Atlantic essay, Why the Nuclear Family Was a Mistake, is a feminist, a thoroughly modern feminist understanding of the family. In other words, it is, a, it is a bad thing. It's a harmful thing to trap and relegate women to bear children and raise children and make a home. Again, this is no new argument. David Brooks isn't presenting something new here. He is giving us a kind of repristinated form of the classic feminist argument made in the last 60 years that argues that biblical womanhood, to isolate that, traps women, subdues women, subjugates women, oppresses women even. We, we must say here, as we have already critiqued this essay on another point, that this is not a correct biblical understanding of womanhood. It is possible that women could be subjugated and oppressed uh, under these kind of concepts that I've just uh, name-checked. It is also possible that women would love the vision of homemaking and motherhood. It's fascinating to me how in our feminist society and our feminist culture, people approach womanhood monolithically. I'm sure there are some women now and in the past who, frankly, didn't like biblical womanhood and didn't like traditional motherhood and the traditional uh, marital vision uh, common to America. By the way, this in no way debuted in 1950. 
uh, this traditional understanding of the family and of a woman's role in the family is actually the dominant paradigm in American history, Western history, and global history. That's not to say that uh, women in many societies have been able to be set aside to care for their home. Many women, of course, in, in global history had to contribute economically to the, to, the, to the well-being of the family, so let that be said. But these roles that Brooks critiques and this concept, for example, of male headship is not something new. These are ancient concepts. These are embedded uh, across societies in different forms, even in different religious uh, uh, frameworks. Nonetheless, if we're looking at uh, this understanding of womanhood, many women like this vision of womanhood, the traditional vision, the biblical vision. Many women haven't seen this as oppressive or bad or demeaning, including today. These women are not given a voice in our culture and society. And that's what fascinates me um, about this. Women who don't like traditional womanhood do get a voice and do get a vote, so to speak. Women who like biblical womanhood and traditional womanhood, depending on their spiritual status, how they understand Christ, they don't get a voice. They are effectively silenced. They are. well, they, they've been brainwashed, people will say. Uh, they've been demeaned. But many women, interestingly, even today in 2020, enter freely into such marriages, such roles, such conceptions of the home. So there's a lot that Brooks assumes here and bakes into his understanding of the nuclear family that must be tested and analyzed and even, at the end of the day, rejected. I'll raise just one more issue with this essay, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Brooks argues toward the end of his article for what he calls the forged family, the forged family. And he's, he's doing a couple things here. He's calling for the reinstitution of the extended family. He's also arguing that the, our, our understanding of family should be broadened to include friends and neighbors and these sorts of things. And to a degree, Christians can affirm that. We certainly understand, of course, that the local church is understood as a family. The local church doesn't replace the natural family, notably, and Christians should not dissolve their family into the local church. We recognize from texts like First Timothy 3, the call to eldership, that it actually matters a great deal, for example, that a godly man, manage his home, lead his home well. What that tells us is that uh, a man, and by extension a married couple, have to give great attention to the well-being of their children, the discipline of their children, the loving training of their children. So we must be very careful not to dissolve the natural family into the spiritual family, that is, the local church, and of course, more broadly, the universal church. But Brooks is doing something else as well. He is making space for us to understand the family in broader terms. For example, he says this, The modern chosen family movement came to prominence in San Francisco in the 1980s among gay men and lesbians, many of whom had become estranged from their biological families and had only one another for support in coping with the trauma of the AIDS crisis. Brooks then goes on to say this, Over the past several decades, the decline of the nuclear family has created an epidemic of trauma, Billions have been set adrift because what should have been the most loving and secure relationship in their life broke. He goes on, slowly but with increasing frequency, 
these drifting individuals are coming together to create forged families. That's his term. These forged families, Brooks says, have a feeling of determined commitment. The members of your chosen family are the people who will show up for you no matter what. End quotation. To synthesize Brooks's point, he's saying that the forged family is a good thing, and he's saying that the forged family is a good thing in the context of gay and lesbian families, so-called. This is very important. Ultimately, the nuclear family was a mistake. This essay by David Brooks in The Atlantic, massive essay that has caused a lot of comment, an essay, again, that has positive points made in it, also has a very progressive and unbiblical thread running through it if you pay attention. Brooks is not simply calling for generations to reunite as much as they can locally. Brooks is also saying to us, we must expand our understanding of the family. We must embrace different visions of the family. We must make space for, in American life, the forged family. One dimension of the forged family is the homosexual family. I can only anticipate that polyamorous families should be welcomed by those who would support Brooks's argument. For example, four adults or five adults or six adults living together in a consensual sexual relationship, multiple men, multiple women. Uh, I'm sure that there's room in this kind of vision of the forged family for transgender individuals. The forged family can be taken in many different ways. And I think Brooks intends that ambiguity and Christians need to be very, very careful about embracing this conception of the family. Let me sharpen the point here as we bring this podcast to a close. We should not embrace the forged family in the form that Brooks presents it. To be very clear, Christians should retain hold on the natural family should seek to strengthen the natural family. We should not leave it behind. We shouldn't believe that it's a bad thing. We should see it as God's common grace gift to humanity and God's blessing to Christian families as well. So we we want to see the the natural family, the God-ordained family, as the first institution and the chief means by which children are trained in the Christian faith and love is communicated to those children and a husband and wife dwell together in an Ephesians 5 authority and submission, headship and following kind of relationship that images nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also secondly need to make clear that the church is a spiritual family, that all who have trusted Jesus Christ as their savior by faith in his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the empty grave three days later are a family, not a family that dissolves the natural family, the biblical family, but a family nonetheless. And then thirdly, we need to make clear that you cannot re-envision the family. You should push for families to be as connected as they can to multiple generations. That's a beautiful thing. You do want single people to have a strong role in the church, a 1 Corinthians 7 role in the church, and to be cared for and welcomed as real disciples and loved and, and strengthened and blessed in the community of the church. Absolutely you do. But you must not re-envision and remake the family. And if you follow David Brooks's argument in this Atlantic essay to its natural conclusion, no pun intended, that is where you will end up. Christians in this era need to recognize that, frankly, even though it may not look like an attack, 
attacks on the family, on marriage, on God's beautiful design for manhood and womanhood, on God's institutions that he has made and given us by his grace for his glory and for our good. These attacks are proliferating in our time. They are multiplying. They are coming. They're here now. They're here in forms that are easily identifiable, and they're here in less clear forms, embedded in lengthy articles that make some true points that are worth considering, but also some points that must be rejected by the church. Brooks's essay, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake, deserves careful consideration. But in the end, we have to recognize that there is something better than this nuclear option, than this re-envisioning of the natural family. Brooks calls it the nuclear family. It's better called the natural family. It's best called the biblical family. Let's not re-envision it. It was not a mistake. We need to fight for it. We need to promote it. We need especially to live out God's beautiful vision for men and women, for husband and wife, for the raising of children, for the local church united to Christ by faith, for God's plan for the ages to sum all things up in Christ Jesus, who will very soon welcome his bride home. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.